Good morning. In today's headlines, Hunter Biden will no longer get a plea deal for tax charges. As part of the deal, he was expected to plead guilty after allegedly failing to pay federal income tax. Now he has pleaded not guilty to the charges. A packed Congress as three witnesses testified about their first-hand encounters with unidentified aerial phenomena, otherwise known as UFOs, which they say are being suppressed by the government. Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas facing heated questions from Republican lawmakers over his handling of the southern border. We have his response. A terrorist threat. That's what the former U.S. counterintelligence chief called the Chinese Communist Party in a congressional hearing yesterday. We have more on his testimony. An Air Force general says U.S. weapons are running out, and so are NATO's. He says stockpiles are running dangerously low, and allies need to put some serious thought into replenishing them. Sugar is in the spotlight. NTD spoke with Dr. Mark Sherwood, who says giving it up can have a dramatic effect on preventing or reversing some modern-day diseases. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning, everyone. I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Thursday, July 27th, which means we have almost made it through the week. And Kevin, you know, I heard some analysts or I read some analysts say that um, Hunter Biden's plea deal was extraordinarily lenient. Well, yeah, that's a good point. And that the U.S. Sentencing Commission actually has a really tough stance on these income tax violations. And some would say that it could see Hunter getting about two years in prison. So why so tough on um, income tax violations spe uh, specifically? Well, that's because they say there are so many violations, but there's so few prosecutions. Executions. Basically that they have to make an example out of them and deliver a stiff punishment in order to serve as a deterrent. Oh, okay, interesting. Right, so let's get into this in a bit more detail. So a federal judge in Delaware yesterday refused to approve Hunter Biden's plea deal with the Justice Department. Hunter was expected to plead guilty to two misdemeanor tax counts of willful failure to pay federal income tax as part of the deal to avoid jail time on a felony gun charge. But Judge Mary Ellen Nureka had some concerns about the constitutionality of the deal. As conditions for staying out of jail, she ordered Hunter to actively seek employment, stop using drugs or drinking alcohol, and submit to random drug testing. She also said he could not possess a firearm. NTD's legal correspondent Arlene Richards has more. The plea agreement between President Biden's son, Hunter Biden, and the Justice Department fell apart on Wednesday after Judge Mary Ellen Nureka questioned the specifics of the deal. Hunter was expected to plead guilty to two misdemeanor tax counts of willful failure to pay federal income tax as part of the deal to avoid jail time on a felony gun charge. Prosecutors were planning to recommend two years probation and to wipe the gun charge from Hunter's record. But Nureka, a Trump appointee, was concerned about the constitutionality of the deal. According to the Associated Press, the judge said it seemed like the parties just wanted to rubber stamp the agreement. A key question was whether or not prosecutors planned to continue their investigation and if more charges were expected in the future. Prosecutors confirmed that Hunter was still under investigation but didn't offer any details. Noreka gave both sides 30 days to explain why she should accept the deal. Hunter pleaded not guilty to the tax charges. In a separate twist to the case, the House Ways and Means Committee filed a brief late Tuesday asking the court not to accept the plea deal. Contained in their submission was information related to IRS whistleblower testimony. 
But shortly after their motion was filed, a court clerk received a call requesting that sensitive grand jury, taxpayer and social security information be kept under seal. The clerk said the lawyer identified herself as an attorney for the Ways and Means Committee, but she was in fact a lawyer with the defense team. Attorneys for the defense said there was a misunderstanding. Judge Noreka threatened to sanction the law firm, but then she temporarily placed the documents under seal. Meanwhile, House Republicans are continuing their probe of the Bidens. Hunter's associate Devin Archer is slated to testify to the House Oversight Committee on July 31st. In a social media post on Monday, committee chairman James Comer said, we look forward to speaking with Devin Archer on Monday about Joe Biden's involvement in his family's business affairs. He told Fox News on Tuesday why it's important to get Archer's testimony. So uh, Devin Archer would know more about particularly Burisma than anyone we could talk to because Devin Archer was on the board of Burisma with uh, Hunter Biden. Archer was sentenced to one year in prison in 2022 for defrauding a Native American tribe. He and others used Hunter Biden's name to convince the tribe to invest assets. Emails show Hunter was involved with Archer's firm, but Hunter's lawyer said he was unaware of the scheme. Comer has said that investigators obtained evidence that the president was in communication with some of Hunter's business associates. He said Burisma, that Ukrainian energy company, is at the center of everything in their investigation. And the White House stated last night that questions about Hunter Biden's legal cases are not for the administration. Many Republicans say it's an example of a two-tiered justice system with preferential treatment. Some Democrats suggest letting the judicial process play out. And today's Jeremy Sandberg brings us reactions from both sides of the aisle. The White House called it a personal matter for a private citizen. This case was handled independently, as all of you know, by the Justice Department under the leadership of a prosecutor appointed by the former president, President Trump. The press secretary referred questions about Hunter Biden's legal cases to his legal team. Congressman Robert Garcia echoed that sentiment. So Hunter Biden is a private citizen, and we should not judge his father based on his actions, and clearly in this case, uh, some serious actions that he took that he needs to be held accountable for. Senator Richard Blumenthal says there should be justice and accountability. I, I want to see justice move forward for Hunter Biden and hope that he'll acknowledge his responsibility for the proceeding that will go forward and the judge will make a decision on sentencing that I hope will be fair and just with an acknowledgement of that responsibility on his part. Republicans say the outcome of the case will reveal if there's equal justice in the U.S. To the extent that it looks like the administration is treating Democrats more favorably than Republicans, I, I can understand why people in the House are upset about it. So now is the window to show that we have equal justice. That's the real question. Now it's just the window. Is it going to be fair as you treat every other American? Not one system for the Biden Inc. family and another for America. Senator Josh Hawley says the judge intervening is very telling. I mean, that, that tells you that the court has serious concerns about other potential charges here and also the scope of the deal, which has seemed outrageous from the beginning. So this, I think, signals that uh, there, there still very much is potential for prosecution going forward. The delay could give Republicans more fuel to investigate alleged connections between President Biden and his son's foreign business dealings, which he denies. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News.
Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas faced a storm from Republican lawmakers yesterday over his border policies. Entity Sam Wong was on Capitol Hill. On Wednesday, Republicans on the House Judiciary Committee grilled Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas over his handling of the U.S. southern border. In the opening remark, Chairman Jim Jordan described the Biden administration's border policy as disastrous management. Mayorkas defended himself, saying that the border is not open and his policies are working. Our approach to managing the borders securely and humanely, even within our fundamentally broken immigration system, is working. Over the last few months, House Republicans have been gearing up to launch a potential impeachment proceeding against the secretary. They accuse Mayorkas of undermining the operational control of the southern border, encouraging illegal immigration and lying to Congress. Some Republican members on the committee told me that Mayorkas and the Biden administration have done very little to stop the influx of illegal immigrants. Well, the reality is very clear. It's that we have had a historic uh, level of illegal border crossings uh, since this administration began. We're talking about 5.6 million as well as 1.5 million uh, known gotaways. But I think the evidence is, is very clear that uh, they're padding the numbers a little bit right now redefining um, whether or not somebody was actually at the border and had contact with a border agent. The southern border has long been a battleground for partisan disputes. Just recently, the Biden administration sued Texas Governor Greg Abbott over a floating buoy barrier installed along the Rio Grande to deter illegal immigrants from crossing the river. Democrats on the committee praised Mayorkas, saying that the border situation is under control. Border crossings uh, are down right now, uh, so we should all be celebrating the work that they're doing. It's a tough job, right? Whatever Mayorkas did worked. That's what we should be talking about right now. Since the end of Title 42, the Biden administration has implemented new measures requiring border crossers to schedule interviews through the CBP-1 app. And all applicants must have records of asylum claims in other countries before reaching U.S. soil. Mayorkas insisted that illegal crossings at the southern border have dropped by more than half compared to the number prior to the end of Title 42. Reporting from Washington, D.C., Sam Wong, NTD News. New York City is coming up with new ways to handle the influx of illegal immigrants. The city is planning to set up a shelter for a thousand in the parking lot of a psychiatric hospital. City officials said the new emergency relief center at the Creedmoor Psychiatric Hospital in Queens will house adult men. It will offer services including meals and medical care. New York State will provide the space at the 300-acre Creedmoor facility and will reimburse the city for setting the center up and staffing it. There are currently more than 56,000 illegal immigrants in New, York, New York's care. Thousands more continue to arrive in the city weekly. Officials said the Creedmoor Center should be up and running at some point next month. The Department of Justice is asking for immediate action as it takes on Texas over the Rio Grande River barrier. Earlier this week, the Justice Department filed a lawsuit against Texas to stop barrier placement on the river. Yesterday, it filed a temporary injunction with the U.S. District Court for Western Texas. It requests an immediate block on placing new barriers and removal of existing barriers within 10 days. The motion states Texas is breaking national laws and hurting relations with Mexico. Mexican officials say the buoys violate two different treaties. Texas Governor Greg Abbott says he won't order the removal of the barriers. He says Texas has the sovereign authority to defend its border under the U.S. Constitution. 
And in just a moment, the former U.S. counterintelligence chief says the CCP's economic war with the U.S. has manifested into a terrorism framework. We have takeaways from yesterday's congressional hearing. And Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell froze abruptly during a press conference. The incident has many concerned about his health. Good to have you back. The Senate approved a new amendment to oversee investments in Chinese technology. Under it, U.S. companies planning to invest must notify the Treasury Department due to national security concerns. The latest measure passed the Senate 91-6 to in a rare bipartisan agreement. Meanwhile, a separate amendment would restrict China and other adversaries from purchasing U.S. farmland. Both measures are part of the broader National Defense Authorization Act. The Senate is expected to vote on the defense bill by the end of the week. The two chambers are likely to negotiate a, comp a comprised version of the bill in the early fall. And we're bringing in China expert Anders Kaur to get his take on what is happening. Good morning, Anders. There have been protests about the bill, especially when it comes to the farmland, because it, the protesters say it's discriminating. Now, what is your reaction to that? I don't really think it's discrimination when you are talking about in terms of racism or something, when you're talking about uh, a, a very powerful adversary nation that's like a totalitarian dictatorship, essentially, that's trying to use U.S. farmland for nefarious purposes, whether it's to uh, spy on U.S. military bases or compromise U.S. Uh, food security. Um, you know, obviously, Americans need to control our agricultural land and our um, food land. We are allies. It's fine if allies like Spain do so, and we have approved uh, Spanish ownership of, of agricultural land, but we just can't do that with adversary countries like China. Hmm. Now, here are some stats. Um, I read that China owns almost 400,000 acres of land, but Forbes says China owns less than 1% of the 40 million uh, acres owned in total by foreign entities in the U.S. Now, this seems like a very small fraction. Why is it that China is still deemed as dangerous in this regard? China may try to use um, targeted investments. It has done so in the past in terms of rare earth metals, for example, the recent gallium and germanium attempts to use trade as a leverage or investment as a leverage. And they won't stop at doing that in the United States with our farmland if we let them. So this is, this is also a shot across the bow. It's telling Beijing and the Chinese Communist Party that they need to back off of their aggressions aggression uh, and their aggressive moves internationally. And when you say targeted investment, would you please give some more examples on how China has or is able to use U.S. farmland for to further their interests? Well, for example, they've, I mean, used the, I mean, they've definitely invested in, for, for example, windmills, uh, windmill terrace land in Texas, uh, a corn milling plant in North Dakota um, that could provide sort of uh, funnels or, or uh, basically lynch points um, to, to control our property uh, in terms of uh, agricultural farmland. So you just can't, you can't give uh, Beijing 
and the CCP any kind of lever to use against us. I think that's the concern. And this it could get out of control. It, it may be a small percentage now, but if you don't nip it in the bud, it could, could get quite worse. Right. Now, um, part of the bill, as we heard, is wanting to limit China's investment in the tech sector as well. Now, tell me more about the importance of that and how that ties into what you just explained earlier. The bill is requiring that uh, U.S. investors will inf inform the U.S. Treasury Department and Commerce Department about any investments in national security uh, businesses in China. So that would mean if, if you're a U.S., if you're a J.P. Morgan, for example, or Chase Bank, and you want to invest billions of dollars into our prime adversary, even enemy in China, uh, in their defense sector, in their national security sector, and AI, things that can be used in, in military, for military purposes against U.S. soldiers at some point, then you have to tell the U.S. government. Um, we're, we're not going to just allow a laissez-faire investment into China. Um, we don't, we're, we're not going to build up China's military, which they can then use against us, basically, is the idea. Mm. Right. Now, and with this uh, bill, would the U.S. be doing enough to safeguard its national security from China, in your, your opinion? We need to step it up quite a bit. This, is, this bill just informs the U.S. government. We actually need bans uh, on this investment, and we need to do it in coordination with our allies, because we can't just ban U.S. companies and then, and then European banks step in and fund the same uh, the same companies in China. So we need to coordinate these policies uh, with top investors globally, our allies globally, uh, and we need to enforce those bans. Um, hmm. All right, thank you so much, Anders Kaur. I really appreciate you breaking down things and your analysis on this matter. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. And a terrorism event, that's what the former U.S. counterintelligence chief says the U.S. is facing when dealing with the Chinese Communist Party. He said in a congressional hearing yesterday that it's naive to think the U.S. would be able to come to any kind of agreement with the Chinese regime on issues around critical and emerging technologies. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on his testimony. The hearing before the House Select Committee on the CCP was called Commanding Heights, ensuring U.S. leadership in the critical and emerging technologies of the 21st century. William Evanina, former director of the National Counterintelligence and Security Center, was one of three witnesses who testified. I would offer to this committee that we are in a terrorism event. He says the CCP is an existential and unparalleled threat to the U.S. The former counterintelligence chief says the CCP's economic war with the U.S. has manifested itself into a terrorism framework. A slow, methodical, strategic, persistent, and enduring event which requires a degree of urgency of government and corporate action. Evanina says the U.S. private sector has become the geopolitical battle space for China, as a lot of the CCP's non-conventional intel collection is performed amid business transactions and research activities. He was asked if it's fair to say there's no such thing as a truly private company in China. And uh, in my experience uh, in the intelligence community the last decade, I have not seen an example of a private company that is either not owned, operated, or influenced by the Communist Party of China. Evanina recommended a new economic threat intelligence entity that would share real-time threat information with U.S. private companies to mitigate risks in doing business with China. It has to be direct 
conversation with the CEOs and the boards of directors of those companies. So they're aware that China's coming for their technology. Yeah. And then we should hold them accountable to protect those technologies. According to the FBI, the annual cost of the CCP's intellectual property and trade secrets thefts amounts to $225 billion to $600 billion. That's equivalent to a lost wealth of about $4,000 to $6,000 after tax value per American family of four. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. In other news, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell responded to questions yesterday after he froze abruptly during a press conference. The incident has many concerned about his health. Almost immediately after starting a press conference Wednesday afternoon, Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell appeared to freeze up. The senator stopped talking and for about 20 seconds only stared straight ahead. This prompted his Republican colleagues in the Senate to assist him. Senator John Barrasso helped McConnell from the podium and to his office, and Senator John Thune, the Senate Minority Whip, took over the podium. Roughly 12 minutes later, McConnell returned and continued taking questions. Could you address what happened here at the start of the press conference and was it related to your injury from earlier this year where you suffered a concussion? Is that a yeah, lot? You find you're fully able to yeah. do your job. Yeah. The Senate Republican leader said the same after the press conference. How are you feeling now, sir? Uh, How are you feeling now? I'm fine. Have you seen a doctor? Are you going to Any see idea him? what happened? Huh? Any idea what happened? I'm fine. That's Dehydrated? McConnell told the press that President Biden called to check on him. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy also said he met with McConnell after the incident. Republican senators reacted. I understand he was uh, feeling a little lightheaded, but uh, returned to answer questions, so have no reason to believe he's not doing well. Well, just always concern. You want to make sure everybody's well, and, you know, I know, like with Dick Durbin, he's out with COVID, and who knows what bugs going around, so. And Senate Leader Chuck Schumer also answered a question about McConnell. I don't know if you saw right before you came to the podium that Leader McConnell stopped talking abruptly, went to his office. He says he's fine, but any concerns about his health? I always wish Leader McConnell well. The incident prompted many to express concerns over McConnell's health and his fitness to serve. The 81-year-old senator was admitted to the hospital for a concussion in March and didn't return to the Senate until April. In a Reuters-Ipsos poll last November, about 60% of Americans said they were very or somewhat concerned that some members of Congress are too old to represent the American people. Just ahead, President Biden has decided to allow the U.S. to share evidence of alleged Russian war crimes in Ukraine with the International Criminal Court. And an Air Force general says U.S. weapons are running out and so are NATO's. He says stockpiles are running dangerously low and allies need to put some serious thought into replenishing them. That's after the break. It's good to have you back with us. We're continuing with a look at the Russia-Ukraine war. And today's Daniel Monahan reports on President Joe Biden's decision to let the U.S. cooperate with the International Criminal Court's investigation of alleged Russian war crimes in Ukraine. The decision comes after months of internal debate, and it marks a historic shift as it would be the first time the U.S. has agreed to share evidence with the court in The Hague in the Netherlands. 
The United States is not a party to the International Criminal Court. The Biden administration faced months of resistance by the Pentagon to the move, which feared it could result in the court prosecuting American troops. American intelligence agencies have reportedly gathered information concerning allegedly deliberate Russian strikes on civilian infrastructure in Ukraine, as well as the forced exodus of thousands of Ukrainian kids from Ukraine. Meanwhile, the United States said Tuesday that more aid for the country is in the pipeline. It will provide Ukraine with $400 million in additional military assistance, including the tiny Black Hornet spy drones used largely for intelligence gathering. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin discussed the scene on the ground. They still have a number of options available to them, and we can expect that they'll continue to press. In related news, the White House says it's trying to find other ways to get grain out of Ukraine now that the deal with Russia has collapsed. So we are working with our EU partners. We're working with Ukraine uh, and other uh, European partners to see if there's other ways to get grain to market uh, overland. Ukrainian grain plays a key role in the world food supply, especially for developing nations. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. U.S. and NATO weapon stockpiles are at dangerously low levels. That's according to top Air Force Commander General James Hecker. He says the U.S. and allies need to think seriously about their supplies. We hear from an analyst about the reasons for this and the risks it poses. Joining us now for some discussion is Raven Harrison, a political strategist with Air Force expertise. It's great to speak with you, Raven. The U.S., as you know, has delivered $15 billion in aid to Ukraine in the form of weapons and equipment since Russia invaded back in February 2022. Is that the main reason for these low supplies? Well, it's a combination of factors. It is uh, that has a lot to do with it. The fact that I think our records actually show it's closer to 65 million, 65 billion dollars in ammunition and arms that have been sent to the Ukraine since the beginning of this conflict. Uh, and now we've put ourselves in a position where we have depleted our stockpiles, which makes us less safe across the board. And we have put ourselves in a position where our NATO allies cannot count on us to be able to come in with reinforcements should conflicts arise in other places. So what can be done to replenish here? Well, we've got to make that a priority. And right now, this administration has a lot of different priorities. And the most insignificant element of this is Putin seems to be in this for the long game. He is playing chess, and we've got G.I. Joe playing checkers over here in a very, very dangerous game. So we have got to get our stockpiles up by making that a priority, getting our military shored up and our reinforcements and putting us in a position where, according to Joe Biden, now he is forced to send cluster munition, cluster bombs, uh, which are equally good at killing enemies as they are American, uh, international and innocent civilians. So General Hecker is calling on the industry to help with this resupply here. How can we get them on board? Well, we can get them on board by all of us remembering what our oath was to NATO in the first place. We are supposed to stand at a readiness. UK as of, uh, the Ukraine as of right now does not belong to NATO. And we have got to get our allies' confidence that we are taking this matter seriously, that we are taking the necessary steps, getting the appropriation through Congress, getting the funding to put the priority and equipping our military to do what we tasked them to do. 
And of course, there are a lot of threats around the world, and the United States has to look out for its own national security, which is one reason to resupply. And then, of course, there's treaty obligations, security commitments, and crisis response. But in your view, what is the main reason why the United States needs to beef up its weapons supplies? Well, I think the beef, beefing up of the weapon supplies is because that's our fundamental goal, is to protect America. We have to have the stockpiles and the resources. We can't be the offensive, defensive, counteroffensive, and backup uh, reinforcements for the entire world without having the ability to protect our homeland first. This makes us wide open and ripe for an attack on American soil. It also has us eyes on Taiwan, who, if that goes pear-shaped, we're going to need America more than anything else, and our NATO allies, which are counting on us. And as of right now, we have orders not fulfilled, not delivered. We have people waiting on us for munitions, which we just don't have, and they are going through this ammunition and munitions faster than we can replenish them. Just yes or no, do you think there's enough public sentiment here to get Congress to enact these funding provisions for these weapons Currently, supplies? Currently, no. I would say I don't think there's enough to get it to rise to the occasion of making this the monumental importance that it is. But we have to keep the heat on it, we have to keep the pressure on it, and we have to make this a priority. Safety is key. And going back to what you touched on, deterrence is, of course, another advantage to having a, a robust supply of weapons here. Raven Harrison, political strategist, thank you so much for your insight today. Grateful to be here. Thank you. Now let's look at some short headlines from around the world. The U.S. Embassy in Dublin has issued a security alert to Americans telling them to keep a low profile. It comes amid an increase in street violence and after a man from Buffalo, New York, was attacked by teenagers and left seriously injured last week. British billionaire Joe Lewis, who owns the Tottenham Hotspur soccer team, has pleaded not guilty to insider trading and conspiracy charges in Manhattan federal court. He's accused of passing tips about companies in which he invested to friends, private pilots, assistants, and a former girlfriend. He's been released on a $300 million bond. Ecuador has announced a state of emergency in all of its prisons after a series of violent incidents at one of its most dangerous prisons left at least 11 dead. The 30-day measure will mobilize the military and police in an effort to regain control of the prisons. Archaeologists say they have discovered the ruins of a private theater by the Roman Emperor Nero, just steps away from the Vatican. The imperial theater was mentioned in ancient Roman texts, but never found until now. It's a place where the ruler is said to have fiddled while Rome burned. And coming up, a packed Congress yesterday as three witnesses testify about their first-hand encounters with unidentified aerial phenomena, otherwise known as UFOs, which they say is being suppressed by the government. Welcome back. Twelve people, including three firefighters, were injured after a fire caused a huge crane to collapse in New York City yesterday. Firefighters were called to a Manhattan construction site in the morning. Before they arrived, the crane had already collapsed and hit a building across the street. City officials said the building suffered some damage but was found to be structurally stable. Officials also said none of the injuries were life-threatening. 
Initial investigations suggest that the fire may have been caused by a hydraulic fluid leak. The investigation is still ongoing. According to officials, the crane was operated by New York Crane and Equipment. The company was reportedly involved in two fatal collapses in Manhattan 15 years ago. Good news for some student loan borrowers. The Biden administration will cancel $130 million of debt for students who attended a now-defunct college in Colorado. This affects over 7,000 students who attended College America in Colorado between 2006 and 2020. This applies only to federal student loans, not private ones. The Colorado Attorney General's Office found the university's parent company widely misrepresented the school. That includes information on graduate salaries, employment rates, loan terms, and the programs it offered. President Biden said borrowers at College America were lied to, ripped off, and saddled with mountains of debt. Borrowers should receive notice of the automatic cancellation in August. One of the youngest people to be charged in a January 6th case was given a one-year jail sentence yesterday by U.S. District Court. Bruno Joseph Kua was 18 when he entered the Capitol building on January 6, 2021, was sentenced to a further 36 months of supervised release. Kua, a high school student at the time, sat in former Vice President Mike Pence's chair during the Capitol incident. Kua told the judge he regretted his actions. The judge was prepared to hand down a more severe sentence, but relented after hearing the defendant shows genuine remorse. Kua's attorneys had argued that prosecutors' sentencing recommendations sought to portray the defense actions as violent where they were fairly mundane. The House Judiciary meets today to vote on whether or not to charge Meta-boss Mark Zuckerberg with contempt of Congress. At issue are documents subpoenaed by the House Judiciary Committee back in February. These documents relate to White House officials allegedly requesting censorship of posts relating to COVID vaccines, election integrity, and other topics. Meta has only partially complied with the subpoena. Many of the documents it sent were stripped of key information. In its report, the Judiciary Committee referred to recent court cases where government officials allegedly pressured companies censored speech. Turning to news from D.C., skepticism of the government's handling of unidentified aerial phenomena, or UAPs, on full display in Congress, halls packed with interested citizens. NTD's Melina Weiskopf was at yesterday's oversight subcommittee hearing where three witnesses shared their first-hand encounters with UAPs that they say have been suppressed or ignored. A lot to take in from these witnesses, but one important point is that even when they do encounter UAPs or UFOs, there's no acknowledgement or legitimate way to report them. That's even when they're so close and possibly endangered by these encounters, as described by one of the witnesses, Ryan Graves, who's a former Navy lieutenant. He described a case where an object was flying within 50 feet of the aircraft he was in. Nothing tethering it to the ground. These sightings are not rare or isolated. They are routine. The stigma attached to UAP is real and powerful and challenges national security. It silences commercial pilots who fear professional repercussions. And another witness who's a former Pentagon intelligence officer who also worked on a UAP task force says that the government has likely had knowledge of non-human activity since the 1930s. Of a multi-decade UAP crash retrieval and reverse engineering program. But like much of what we heard today, details of specific locations can't be publicly divulged. Yet we don't have access to it, that someone else is profiting from it. Uh, Weapons projects that 
are unsanctioned or that we don't have oversight of, I mean, that's problematic. Honestly, I'm concerned that we're not utilizing this technology to the maximum extent possible. And Grush says he wants to share more classified information with lawmakers in the SCIF, which is a location here in Congress where they can discuss classified information. But so far, they faced pushback against this effort. Lawmakers say they're working on perhaps more whistleblower protection laws to encourage more witnesses like the ones here today to come forward with more information. Another congressman says that if they're denied the ability to continue this investigation, targeting the money could be successful. Defund salaries, uh, agencies, and programs. And Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer introduced a bipartisan bill that would declassify UFO records, and he plans to introduce this as part of an amendment to the defense bill later this week. Reporting from Capitol Hill, Melina Weiskopf, NTD News. The Pentagon has denied Grusha's claims of a cover-up. Pentagon officials said in December they received several hundred new reports since launching a renewed effort to investigate reports of UFOs. And still to come, Americans find themselves regretting a variety of financial decisions amid persistent inflation. According to a recent survey, saving for retirement, emergencies, and tackling credit card debt are the primary concerns. And you might want to put down that cold can of sugary soda pop. Entity spoke with Dr. Mark Sherwood about the dangers of all that sweet stuff and more. Good to have you back. American Airlines is suing a travel website over a cost-saving hack known as Hidden Cities. Hidden Cities, or skip lagging as some call it, involves booking a flight with a layover at your intended destination and then skipping the second leg of the flight. It's used to save money if a connecting flight is cheaper than a direct flight, which sometimes happens. American and other airlines have banned the practice. Now American is suing the travel website Kiwi, alleging its involvement in the Hidden Cities hack. It says Kiwi is no longer authorized to sell the airline's tickets, but continues to do so. American says Kiwi is using a workaround where it takes customers' orders and then fulfills them on American's website. Kiwi has not yet responded to the accusations. The Hidden Cities hack made headlines last month when American banned a teenager for using the practice. That's right. And in some finance news, some U.S. households may want to do some budgetary belt tightening for the 11th time in 17 months. The Federal Reserve has boosted interest rates, which means items like mortgages, credit cards, car loans, and student debt costs will be higher. As inflation continues to strain household budgets, Americans find themselves regretting a variety of financial decisions. A new survey reports that almost half say their regrets have made them even more stressed than last year. And today's Andrew Thomas has more on the findings. Inflation, savings, emergency funds, these factors and others are stressing Americans out. A recent survey by Bankrate found that 74% of respondents have a financial regret from last year. Nearly half said their stress levels have gone up since last year. The fact that three in four Americans has a financial regret is consistent with what we've seen in years past. Uh, you know, it just goes to show that, uh, you know, whether it's savings or debt, there are a lot of missteps Americans uh, wish they hadn't taken or things that they wish they had done that they didn't do early. Successful saving is all about sticking to good habits. 21% of respondents said not saving enough was their biggest concern. McBride advises Americans to create an automated direct deposit from their paycheck into a savings account. 
That way, you're saving for both retirement and emergencies before you roll out of bed on payday morning. And, and it's that habit that over time, that's where you start to build up either that necessary emergency cushion or you start to accumulate that nest egg that you're going to need for your golden years. Another important move to make, tackling credit card debt. 15% of Americans surveyed said it was their biggest financial regret. The best way to, to address that is attack that debt. If you have good credit, take advantage of the 0% balance transfer offers that are out there. That gives you a great tailwind toward debt repayment. Trying to pay off that debt at 20% is like dragging a safe through sand. Regrets and the ensuing stress can teach important lessons, but it's just as important not to dwell on them. McBride says it's never too late to make a change. These regrets are, are, are correctable by taking action. Uh, if, if you're regretting that you didn't start saving for retirement early enough, you can increase the amount that you're saving now. If you haven't yet started to save for retirement, you can start that process now. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Aging, illness, medication, and then more medication. It's a cycle a lot of people get caught up in, but one health professional says there is a key to breaking out of that cage. Entity's Daniel Monahan spoke with Dr. Mark Sherwood on how changing eating habits can reverse some or prevent modern-day diseases. Dr. Sherwood sees sugar and the amount of it that Americans eat as a serious problem. Sugar is nothing more than commercialized drugs at this point, and it's hard for people to get off that. So it actually activates the dopamine receptors. So we're actually talking about a really new kind of, well, if you'll pardon the term, new kind of dope. The doctor says the government heavily subsidizes sugar production, causing more of it to be produced cheaply. But unfortunately, what happens is when you're passing on these literal processed, hyper-sweet sugars to the American public, you're creating addiction which leads to chronic inflammation, which does have a part and parcel with every single disease process. How does that inflammation negatively impact people's health? Our immune system is like our surveillance system. Look at it as our military, you know, and look at it like it's supposed to secure our borders. When the immune system is triggered, everything goes on alert and it has to send signals around the body that are called in part inflammatory signals. But what if the body was completely triggered all the time. It's going to run out of ammunition. It's going to run out of material. It's going to run out of manpower. And it's not going to be able to respond to the typical things we deal with. It's not going to be able to re repair cells, which can lead to cancer. It's going to begin to sort of not know who the enemies are, which means autoimmune condition. According to Sherwood, an overstressed immune system can also struggle to cope with vascular buildup, which leads to heart disease. He also believes there is a link between sugar consumption and neurodegenerative disorders such as Alzheimer's. Because type 3 diabetes is one and the same with Alzheimer's dementia. We get insulin resistance of the brain. And it's fascinating to me how people are not catching this. Why did they change the name from sugar diabetes to type 2 diabetes? Why did they remove the name type 3 diabetes from Alzheimer's dementia? It makes one curious when clearly we know the sugar's apart. All right, you sold me. No more late night cabinet raids for a candy bar. And what about exercise? Do you have any recommendations for that? I like to say that sitting is the new smoking. You know, people are sitting too much, too much inactivity, and they actually have fallen for the trap of thinking that these little 10 minute workouts all day long and sitting the rest of the time are, are okay. 
the recommendations that I support is at least 150 minutes of dedicated movement per week. The bottom line is the more we move, the more we live. The less we move, the closer we are to rigor mortis. Sherwood says the biggest enemy Americans have right now is a lack of border security at their mouths. The doctor says it's something people need to start talking about and begin to make changes. Those changes, according to Sherwood, will help people get off unnecessary medications and turn the tide on some of those health problems. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Well, if anyone has a sweet tooth, there are actually a lot of alternatives to refined sugars like maple syrup, for mm. example, molasses, and even jaggery. Mm, good point, yeah. It really seems like food and diet can make such a big difference. We've touched on it so many times recently. I have a sweet tooth. I think I should, you know, make some changes. It is so, an important topic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and in just a moment, Middle Earth's Hobbiton gets some additional visits this year as soccer fans visiting New Zealand for the World Cup decide to make a stop, so stay tuned. Soccer fans visiting New Zealand to attend the World Cup have had the chance to get a dose of fantasy by visiting the Hobbiton movie set. Americans in particular have been keen to visit Middle Earth and see the movie set up close. Entities Costamines has more. This year's World Cup has livened up the movie set's usually slow winter season. Um, so welcome along into Hobbiton. So out here on the movie set itself, we have 44 hobbit holes, like the ones here behind me. So by having all of these football fans in here, in the country, supporting their team and making their way through New Zealand and enjoying the experiences that are on offer, it's just been fantastic. Forrest says of all countries visiting, Americans have been the most common visitors spotted. And I'm not sure if there's more of them coming through and experiencing Hobbiton or just they're you know, quite proud of that beautiful country they have so they're all wearing the team gear so they're very easily recognisable but it's great to be hosting so many people from around the world but yeah we're seeing a lot of Americans. This visitor from New York was travelling to the nation's second group stage match in Wellington and decided to make a stop. We had our first game in Auckland and our next game is in Wellington and the Hobbiton set is like on the way so I've seen all the movies and I read the books, so it seemed like a, a good place to stop and it was recommended by multiple people, so. Yeah, I, I love the, the Lord of the Ring movies. Um, my dad showed them to me when I was fairly young, uh, so being over in New Zealand, it gave me a chance to, to come here and you know, experience it. It was great. The movie set on the over 1,200-acre property was temporarily created for the original trilogy before being dismantled. It was later rebuilt with even more Hobbit holes for the Hobbit adaptation. It was since left intact as a long-term permanent attraction for visitors. The homes on the set only feature the front door and patio, with interior scenes having been filmed in a studio. But construction is currently underway for a permanent interior Hobbit hole to be open to tourists. Costa Menes, NTD News. How nice is that, seeing a movie coming to life? Yes, yeah, The Lord of the Rings is really entertaining. And did you know that hobbits are actually two to four feet tall? <laughs> I have no idea. I will have to make a, um, I will admit here that I've never watched The Lord of the Ring movies. All of it. I, I, I've watched, I think, one. It's quite the series. Yeah. 
Anyway, but I do recognize some stuff and it looks exciting. <laughs> all right, that's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you at goodmorning at ntd.com. Write us if you'd like. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.